Hey, wrestling fans, welcome. Today is January 2nd in the year of our Lord, 2024. We have taken the rope break jet plane that takes off every Tuesday. Oh no, I'm falling apart at 9.30 a.m. in the morning. West Coast time, 12.30 p.m. East Coast time. And, and yeah, there's some rumbling and grumbling at the beginning. And we took off into the air. And in between episodes, we time-traveled, boys. We did it. We time-traveled. We were soaring through the air this past week, waiting for another greasy episode of Monday Night Raw, waiting for another greasy AEW pay-per-view. Another $50 down the fucking drain. There's my review. Spoiler alert. Segment two after the break. The money went down the fucking drain, but I'm going to break down everything going on in AEW after the break. Right now, I'm just rumbling up this big engine. Hey, greasy wrestling fans, welcome to episode 16 of Rope Break. I am your host, the Greg Flynn, the one and only, and it's a new year. New me, new you? I don't know. I guess we'll see. I guess we will be uh, the determinants of our fate, as it were. So if it is a new year, new me, new you, well, that's going to be up to me and you, wrestling fans. So let's do this, motherfucker. Let's do 2024 unlike we've ever done any year in our life. Let's fucking get after it, boys. Whatever the hell that means. I like to use expressions like that somewhat ironically because I don't always know what they actually mean. But hey, I hope you're well. I hope you had an amazing Christmas break out there. I'm hyped as fuck, obviously. I had a great Christmas break. I had a great New Year's. I had a great New Year's Eve. We had a WMW show on New Year's Eve. It went amazing. You can check out the VOD on YouTube. See the WMW take on the world. It was awesome. We dropped Slampta. The Slampta highlights dropped on YouTube during the break. So go check those out. Uh, And uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh yeah, Christmas. I'm wearing my new uh, thermal leggings today to keep my legs uh, uh, cold, not cold, to keep them warm. Because, you know, I wanted wanted to rock the tank top. So I was like, I might get cold out there. It's winter. But actually, I'm kind of toasty. It's warm. I'm sweating. I'm sweating bullets because I'm a greasy wrestling fan. And it's rope break, which means it's time to bring out the grease. Hey, like I was saying, after the break, we're going to break down everything from World's End. And I'm going to talk about Chris Jericho. After the break, I'm going to talk about the allegations swirling around Chris Jericho. Okay, I I will confess that sometimes when this sort of stuff starts coming out about a celebrity um, or really just about any creator or artist, which is what he is, um, that I appreciate. So we could be talking about a musician, an actor, a pro wrestler, whoever it is, whatever it is, any sort of content creator, artist. When, when, when you start, when the rumors start swirling, as they often seem to do, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that, like, it, it's a fucking dark world out there sometimes. So sometimes the rumors do start swirling, and I guess I'm privileged, I'm lucky, I get to be far away from that, and, and I gotta laugh or cry about it from my perspective, and I just choose to chuckle about it a little bit, because if you're gonna, I feel like if you're gonna go down And I was talking to my wife about this last night. If you're going to go down every rabbit hole and hate everyone who's ever made a mistake, oof. But the other side of that is also true. Like, if you're going to turn a blind eye to some of the things that are happening in the world, if you're going to turn a blind eye to 
uh, every accusation that comes out, you're effectively not believing these people and you're effectively empowering the abusers. So that's not exactly a win either. So where do I, from thousands of miles away, how do I navigate that? It's just a greasy wrestling fan. My wife even asked me, she goes, are you going to talk about Jericho on the podcast? I was like, I don't, I talk about storylines. Like I, I, the rope break is about watching wrestling as a mark and then breaking it down as a mark. Like the moves, the stories, match ratings. Like this is what I'm interested in when it comes to pro wrestling. And it is very interesting to learn the behind the scenes of that. How is that getting made? Who are the guys who are making that and why? The next step of they have wives and families and need to be in therapy and need to be doing healing and could probably uh, do well with some mushroom trips and a little bit of enlightenment and a little bit of spiritual wisdom and a little bit of acceptance and a little bit of slowing down of the pace as many of these people desperately clearly need. Well, that's not really my business in a certain way. Like, I can appreciate their art from afar or I cannot. And at the end of the day, that's where it falls. But we're not at the end of the day when it comes to Chris Jericho. All the details have not come to light. In fact, we basically know nothing. Uh, according to my research, what I've seen on Twitter, what I've seen on like Wrestling Observer and those sort of sources, uh, we effectively know nothing, which... Means all that's left to do is speculate, but that is one thing I am particularly gifted at, is running my mouth in speculation. So after the break, we will run this yapper fully into speculation about what the fuck is going on with Chris Jericho and how I feel about it. And uh, I'm very curious how other people feel about it because, uh, I mean, yeah, sure, I can kind of turn a blind eye sometimes and enjoy a creator's art sometimes, but man, if you're an abuser, fuck you. <laughs> and if you're taking advantage of your situation, fuck you. And you know what? If you're if you're getting ahead of yourself, fuck you. Because the first thing I want to talk about before the break is what we saw last night, WWE Raw Day One. It was fucking phenomenal. It was so fucking good. And what what busted my chops? And I, I'm always comparing the two. I can't help it. I mean, we got two wrestling companies now. There's two TV shows on now. So obviously, we're going to be comparing the two. It's like it's like if you watch reality TV. You know what I mean? And you watch Survivor, and you watch. I stopped watching reality TV after Survivor. The year was 1999, and I saw no reason to continue. But there are others like Survivor, and you can watch them and compare them, and they probably steal ideas from each other and all sorts of stuff. So I can't help but compare it. And what I was comparing was a pay-per-view that I paid $50 for. And now I got to feel like I got to sit here and give it my undivided attention. This was a $50 investment. You got me, AEW. I plopped another 50 down on the table. And now I got to like really dig in and watch. Whereas Monday Night Raw, okay, it's a three-hour free TV show. It's a different conversation. And there's a different bar being set in fairness. So when I see the card for day one Monday Night Raw and Cody Rhodes cuts a good promo, Shinsuke cuts a good promo. They, they do it together. Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins have a fantastic, super fucking entertaining, 
world championship match that I was able to suspend various disbeliefs behind. I mean, let's start there. The world championship match between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins. How fucking fun and good and simple this shit is when you get guys who are talented in the ring and you sculpt a story around them and you sculpt a match story around them so we got our heel drew mcintyre trying to get over the hump blaming everyone else in the world for his problems i've talked about him before on the show versus seth rollins the babyface fighting champion he's been uh, he hasn't been pinned in a year they kept saying they kept pointing that out on the broadcast in a singles match and here we go. We're off to the races, and the beefcakes are pounding on each other, and Greg is a happy boy. Uh, January 1st, it's just awesome. And then, oh, no, here comes money in the bank, and you know he's not going to cash it. You know this isn't it. You know it's another tease. But Drew McIntyre now has to deal with that problem. Ooh, and now he's got something else to be pissed about in his desire to look outside of himself and blame everyone else for the problems in his life. Now he has Judgment Day to blame. Now he's got someone else to be pissed at, a Damian Priest. It's awesome. It's awesome. And he kind of overcomes it, doesn't he? He hits his uh, Claymore. I was blanking on the name. He hits that running kick. He hits that Claymore on Damian Priest, nullifies that threat. Moves over back into the ring, hits it on Seth Rollins. Fantastic pin. It's almost too fundamentally sound because a practically unconscious Seth Rollins is able to get to the rope break, no pun intended. But, and then continue the match, and Seth Rollins goes on to win. How fucking fun was that? It was simple. It was fun. It was interesting. It was good. I didn't have to pay a fucking dime, and I got a fantastic world championship match. But in terms of like entertainment value and in the moment, every bit is good, arguably better than Samoa Joe versus MJF, who I thought they had a great match too. But like, I mean, these aren't apples and oranges. These are apples that we got for free versus apples that we had to pay for. But they're all still apples. And so as I'm biting into them, Sure, there is a little bit of a, a predisposition, a bias when, when there's a history of putting down your money for it, and maybe I am judging it too harshly because of that, or more harshly. That's the thing. I don't think it is too harsh. I think it's just more harsh because of the reality that this son of a bitch, Tony Khan, wants to charge me 50 goddamn dollars once a month all of a sudden. I was good with four a year. I thought you could build around four a year. I thought four a year was like four WrestleManias because you're not diluting looting the waters, excuse me, with 12 pay-per-views. Thus, you kind of need a Super Bowl pay-per-view because there's so fucking many of them. No, you had four. So we can have four major payoffs, the four pillars of AEW, the four pay-per-views of AEW. It's a good number. It was working. It was $200 a year. That's a lot of fucking money to be paying out of pocket for wrestling. And then buying tickets and buying merchandise which I got to do because I'm a full-blown fucking mark. So, like, it's not apples and oranges, I guess is what I'm getting at here. Raw day one with Rhea Ripley wrestling, with Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre wrestling, with Becky Lynch and Nia, Nia Jax. Nia Jax? Nia Jax? My apologies. But, like, I was telling Amanda during that match, like, what a totally serviceable, meaningless, yet still fun. Like, there's no title... 
is kind of a weak story associated with it. But here we go, two women's wrestlers kicking off the show. And they did a great job. Who at AEW can pull that off? Like, what? who, who two in the women's division uh, do you feel like, okay, if AEW took a week or two off for a break, let's say they took a New Year's break, like the way WWE did, what universe do they come back from a break like that and the first match is a women's match in AEW? Like, no fucking way. They don't have two women's female performers that can just be interesting in the ring on that alone for a 15, 10, 15 minute match. It just is what it is. I'm sorry. I'm not a women's wrestler hater. I'm clearly a fan. Like, obviously, I really enjoyed Becky Lynch and Nia Jax, Nia Jax. So, oh, brother. Oh, brother. I'm punchy this morning, Rope Break listeners. Hey, thanks for joining me this morning. Appreciate you boys, wherever you are out there. We're breaking down WWE Monday Night Raw day one. And then after the break, we're going to transition over. I'm real punchy this morning. I'm, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be here in 2024, boys. Uh, but as I said, after the break, we're going to break down AEW and World's End and, and Chris Jericho. But but talking about Raw, the other big one, obviously, is the return of Jinder Mahal. I mean, we've all been clamoring for it for quite some time, and we finally got him last night. I thought he did fantastic. Uh, I thought he drew serious fucking heat. Uh, when he made fun of America, I thought that was original. I, no, I'm just fucking with you. I mean, I think Jinder did a fine job getting punched in the face by the fucking Rock. How cool was it that the Rock was there? And yeah, I did. I mean, me and Amanda were sitting there watching it, and uh, he he beats the shit out of Jinder Mahal. He's so fucking funny the entire time. He's so fucking charismatic the entire fucking time. Like, you're just there. And that's the thing. He doesn't even have, like, a good enemy in that moment. Jinder Mahal just goes out there and shits on America. Like, and like, oh, okay, cool. Like, most Americans don't like America, which was actually his point. But <laughs> which is the thing. It's like, okay, fair point. Why would I dislike you for making this fair point? But regardless... He did, the Rock didn't even have a good target in that moment, and he fucking slayed, he fucking killed it. Charismatic, funny, beefy as shit, and then he's got that line about, I mean, how well-delivered was it? Everything he did was so well-delivered. He says, I'm going out to eat tonight, I'm hungry, I like to, should I sit at a booth? Should I sit at a bar? The Rock loves a good bar. And me and Amanda, I didn't know where he was going with it. I honestly did not make the connection. The head of the table, and we're kind of sitting there looking at each other like, where is, where is this going? What is this? And then he says, or should I sit at the head of the table? And I'm like, oh, my God, the goosebumps, it's happening. And uh, I predicted it. Need I remind you, like five episodes ago, I predicted all of these things that are shaking out in WrestleMania. So let's talk about it real quick. Let's look at WrestleMania 40 real quick. Book it, motherfuckers. Your main event, night two, WrestleMania 40, The Rock versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal Championship. It's done. It's signed, sealed, delivered. WrestleMania 40, the big round, 4-0. There's a zero at the end. I mean, how... The allure, it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw so much attention. It's going to draw so much notoriety. People are going to be so interested. Lapsed wrestling fans are going to kind of poke back in as they always do for WrestleMania. But this is WrestleMania 40. That's kind of cool. And w- 
did you say The Rock is in the main event? I remember watching him when, right? Like, that's the type of vibe that they're going to be able to capture with WrestleMania 40 here in a few months. So you got to believe it's done, it's signed, the contract is is signed, the title fight is booked behind the scenes. We just need a story to 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 chew on us marks now just need our story to chew on that they'll unveil over the coming months but roman reigns the rock main event wrestlemania 40 which means is the rock gonna win the royal rumble but they've already set this stage for that too haven't they they've already got a little opt out for that too don't they because if you win the royal rumble you're in the main event of wrestlemania you fight for the wwe universal championship it's just the way it's always been unless you're trying to convince the audience that there's two main event championships Ooh, and unless you have two fucking huge ass superstars that everyone is talking about who seem to have some genuine animosity between one another, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of frustration brewing between the world heavyweight champion Seth Rollins and CM Punk, the newest signing in the WWE. CM Punk on Raw, what was it, two weeks ago now, three weeks ago, says to Cody Rhodes, says to the audience, if I win the Royal Rumble, maybe I turn my target onto Seth freaking Rollins at that World Heavyweight Championship. Oh my gosh, we are just filling out our WrestleMania 40 fantasy booking card right here, right now. How good is that show? How fucking good is that show if we are talking about Roman Reigns versus The Rock? I mean, that, I'll be honest, that match itself could end up being a match. I mean, The Rock, uh, let's be honest, he kept it relatively simple in the ring. I think he's super entertaining, and I think the psychology of what he does is a combination of fun and engaging and believable. So like, so it's going to be good. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of his age, in terms of his style, in terms of Roman Reigns style, it's going to be a match and that's fine. And then you're talking about (laughs) Seth Rollins and CM Punk, kind of the same situation, but regardless, that could be amazing and and yeah, in that one, you're wondering who's going to win. I feel like you kind of know with Roman Reigns and The Rock. But with Seth Rollins and CM Punk, you arguably don't. And subplot, in, a- in order for any of this to uh, unfold the way I'm talking about here, it's going to unfold some way. We got to get past the Royal Rumble. So now my balls are all jazzed up for the Royal Rumble, January 27th. The fucking superstars, the fucking storylines. I'm sorry, I am not a fedhead. I spent 20 years of my life not watching wrestling because of frustration with the WWE and Vince McMahon. I'm not a fedhead. The superstars, the storylines, and the best wrestlers in the world are in the WWE, and it's not debatable. There's no conversation there. You can like AEW, but there just isn't a conversation. The big boys are proving why they're the big boys. They're proving why they are the big leagues. They're showing it. You're seeing it. It's bleeding through. And having a number two company that just 
isn't on the level of the WWE in so many different ways. It's actually shining the light on how good the WWE, excuse me, is because the AEW is or AEW is making this shit look hard. They're making this shit look complicated and difficult and hard. Like, you got to do a lot of fucking heavy lifting to get any sort of show done in professional wrestling. Because you're going you're gonna to have wrestlers arguing with each other. This is AEW's narrative. You're going to have wrestlers arguing with each other, okay? You're going to have uh, the promotion with no clear vision, okay? You're going to have six different styles of wrestling on a show, which sounds cute on paper, but all of a sudden, when you start doing a weekly television program to a casual American audience, they get really fucking confused about that. They're really not sure what they're watching. They're just watching gymnastics, and that's fine, but I thought wrestling had stories. When I was a kid, we used to make fun of the WWE for the stories, and now we're here, and there's no stories and the wrestling's all disjointed. The stuff happening in the ring is so disjointed. And there's this one guy who looks like a plumber and he's always bleeding in every episode of the show that I turn on. <laughs> Just had to throw in a little mox hate there. I couldn't help it. But uh, yeah, I think that's a perfect opportunity to maybe take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll fully break down what the fuck is going on in AEW. I've been teasing it and comparing it to a real fucking product. I mean, say what you want about WWE. Like, like make fun, shit on the chairman, Vince McMahon. And, you know, he, you're talking about Jericho. Who fucking knows how deep that rabbit hole with Vince McMahon goes? It's scary to think about. It's sad to think about it. And at least in those terms, who knows? Maybe maybe there's less than that. But who, regardless, what I'm saying is neither side is moral here. Neither side is squeaky clean here. But when you're just talking about a product that you are consuming, a television show that you are watching... A, a pay-per-view, a movie, if you will, that you are renting. Like, when, when you just talk about it like that, you, you, you see who the A show is. You see who the A company is. You see where the better writers are. You see where the better wrestlers are. You see where the better production value team is. You, you see where the stronger leadership is. I mean, WWE, here's the last thing. I, this is just coming to my head, and then we'll take our break. But with WWE, think about this. How often are they releasing dozens of wrestlers? Like you're constantly, there's this, there's like a turnover. There's a certain level. Like obviously you're not seeing it with Roman Reigns or whatever. But there's this level of wrestler where you're seeing constant turnover. The Matt Riddle level. The Drew McIntyre level historically. There's this level where people are constantly being released and re-signed. Nia Jax, uh, they talked about it uh, before her match last night. And by and large, these people have no real issue with the WWE after they get let go, except that they still want to be there. Like that, that, and maybe they felt a little underused or whatever, and, and, and you'll hear that one come out. But like, there's not this sense of like, what the fuck is the locker room actually like? You get the sense it's a reasonably professional environment where people have fucking goals and business to handle and we're all on the same page about that and we're all on the same page about what the hierarchy is, the pecking order, what your role is, what my role is, attitude era, know your role, right? Like, 
there's just this sense of cohesiveness. And it's a product of leadership, you guys. It's a product of culture and leadership. It's personalities and relationships. And when I come back from the break, I'm going to tell you why I don't think that Tony Khan has any relationship at all with Chris Jericho. I ain't never missed my cue. My apologies if you are watching live, and we are live every Tuesday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, on Twitch, on YouTube. Hey, we're simulcast on Twitter. Follow on social media at Wet Meat Wrestling, Twitter at WNW Wrestling. Hey, all of that is at wetmeatwrestling.com. Find out when the next eFed show is. Find out. It's this Friday. Find out when the next podcast is. It's next Tuesday. Hey, wrestling fans, let's talk about AEW. Let's talk about World's End. Okay, let's get down into the nitty-gritty of this, okay? I, I, I do have a lot of thoughts about a few different things that we've seen. Our standard Mark story discussion, and then we're going to get to Chris Jericho kind of through that because he had a match at World's End. And that match was used to set up another match for him. We're going to get there. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is the Continental Classic, the championship one week ago on the show, if you listened. And I know you didn't. That was the worst performing episode of Rope Break we have ever done. However, that's, that's, that's irrelevant right now. I, th- I said I thought Swerve was going to win the damn thing. And I said that if he didn't, you're probably looking at Danielson or Mox. I mean, there were only, I, that's three names out of the five options there were at the time. And uh, while I was tooting my own horn about WrestleMania predictions and predictions about The Rock that I've made, boy, I couldn't have been more wrong on this one. I didn't even see Eddie Kingston getting out of the semifinal against Brian Danielson. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, Eddie Kingston seems like, Let's do the Eddie Kingston thing, boys. I I think he's a really good guy. I think that there's like this really fucking good soul under that. I just, I feel it. I vibe on it. I sense it. I sense there's a kid underneath all that gruff exterior that just fucking loves wrestling and storytelling and fighting and, and, and like just has this grit. The grit and the sand with Eddie Kingston, that's the part that does feel real. And here's kind of the irony, and this is what pisses me off about him. He has got the hard part down. Like, that's the hard part. The hard part where you make me feel like you are here for so much more than a paycheck. The hard part where you make me feel that this is about blood, sweat, and tears, and spirit, and soul for you. That's the part Eddie Kings is pretty fucking good at. That's why this motherfucker has fans. Because here's the thing. You're not a fan of his as a wrestler because of his physique. Not that you need a perfect physique, but this guy is a fat ass. I'll just say it. Eddie Kingston is a fat ass, and he's making a lot of money to be on national television as a professional wrestler, which means now the conversation is about how this is a choice for him. Because I got to imagine that the tools are being made available to him. Unless it's a communal choice that we want to present Eddie Kingston in this way as slow and unathletic 
in our athletic competition, in our television show about the greatest wrestlers in the world, the guy who wins the big tournament of all the greatest wrestlers in the world. We held a tournament to determine who the number one motherfucker of this company is. And it was the fattest and slowest guy in the company? What? What? This is why Eddie Kingston is Eddie Kingston. This is why he is an indie darling. Because when it's time for him to step up, and, and yeah, be evaluated by fucking marks like me who aren't in the ring. Whatever, say what you want about me. When it's time for Eddie Kingston to make that transition into next level superstar, he's not doing it. He's, he's opting out. He's choosing to not be it. The limelight is too bright for him. He wants to do Ring of Honor things. He wants to be what he is. And that's fine. You should too, Greasy Rope Breakless. You should want to be what you are. Like, don't get me wrong. And that's what kills me about all this. That's what fucking kills me about all this. Because there is a, a reality and an authenticity and a realism to Eddie fucking Kingston that I, I don't see anywhere else on the AEW roster. You don't see it on the WWE roster. It is why people gravitate towards this dude. It's why he got to win that fucking tournament. Because it's real to him. But... That's where the conversation stops with Eddie Kingston. Like, I, you're a fan of all Japan pro wrestling in the 90s, Eddie. A lot of us watched wrestling in the 90s. There were good wrestling matches happening all over the world in the 90s, including King's Road, all Japan pro wrestling. Let's drop some motherfuckers on their heads and punch them in the face and get as violent as possible. Sure, whatever. I don't give a fuck. That's the thing, Eddie. I don't give a fuck. Like, like, that's not you. That's all Japan. You're not all Japan. You're Eddie Kingston. You're chubby. You're slow. You just trade chops for a while. Like, what was that? What was that choice? What was that choice from AEW? I thought he was in a fine spot where he could be a guy who you could throw in against somebody, a John Moxley, for example, in a world title match. They had done that before. And yeah, you may never suspect that he would win it. And weirdly, that would almost make more sense than this idea that the least athletic dude on the company, in the company, somehow got better and stronger the more matches he did, somehow his cardio and his training was able to keep up with the rigorous continental. And I know it's a fucking show, but like, it's death by a thousand cuts with AEW. Okay? And no one cut is the cut that fucking is going to be the one when we look back on why this company folds 20 years from now. You're not going to be able to point to any one cut. You're going to have to look at thousands of tiny fucking cuts that they made against the logic and sensibility of the viewership. These things got to be grounded in some sort of basic human logic. There's got to be some sort of like basic humanity. I don't believe that this guy can pull that off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do not. So my final grade, not that it matters for the Connell Classic, I gave it a B plus because I thought the group stage was great. Eddie's story in the group stage was great. 
That part I thought was totally appropriate and interesting. I thought they went too far with it, having him come back to win the whole thing. I thought that was silly. I thought you had better options. I mean, Swerve Strickland, right? Like, he's supposed to fight Keith Lee. We're finally going to get that match. And what the fuck was that even? So... I pissed on AW so bad, you guys. There's no leadership. There's no vision. There's no culture. Like, I know that things happen. How is Keith Lee getting di- like diagnosed this close to the show? I have questions about that. I'm sh- there could be, we're talking about death by a thousand cuts. There could be some reasonable answers on that front, but it's like, what was he doing in the intervening time? Because didn't we see him talking about cinder blocks four days ago on national television? So, like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? And we replace him with Dustin Rhodes and we do that. And it's like all of this when Swerve Strickland could have been winning the Continental Classic and really fucking vaulting his star up, vaulting up the star. I mean, Swerve... Swerve was the perfect choice because here's the thing. The Connell Classic is not lifted up by Eddie Kingston winning it. it he's not going to make that tournament in that sense. A Brian Danielson adds gravitas as a winner. And I would argue that a Swerve Strickland, despite being younger, less of a resume, less experienced, is so hot and so interesting right now that he would have lifted the Continental Classic up. Instead, we choose to have him do this fucking match with Keith Lee that's like a year overdue. These two betrayed each other. Swerve betrayed him 12 fucking months ago, it feels like. It was forever ago. I was super hyped for that match back when I believed anyone, either one of them could win it, either one of them could get the push. It would be really interesting. Heel versus face diametrically opposed bodies, diametrically opposed styles. And they're coming off that time. They're coming off being tag team champions of AEW. That was a great setup for an interesting match. Instead, we forgot that Keith Lee existed. I don't know if injuries were a component of that as well. Swerve got hot as fuck. And now we want to circle back, have Swerve lose this great new tournament, this great new opportunity for him. And we want Keith Lee to come do a job for a super hot Swerve Strickland because everyone knew how that was going to fucking shake out. How on earth does Swerve Strickland take the loss there? Like, you need him. You need that fucking heel. You need that fucking monster. And you're not going to transfer all that Swerve Strickland equity, I think, into Keith Lee in that moment. So what the fuck was the point of the original match? Why did Keith Lee, like, how how did they not know sooner that this was going to be the case? And then Swerve Strickland manages to fucking entertain us. Here's the thing about Swerve, you guys. Despite all of that bullshit, he walks into the building apparently and gets told he's wrestling Dustin Rhodes. And the two of them and whoever else rig up a really interesting series of events that are able to entertain me, get Dustin over as a tough badass that I still remember, a member of the Rhodes family, a leader behind the scenes in AEW. Sure, made him look tough, made him look strong. I was interested. I never for a second thought he was going to win. You sold me on whether there was even going to be a match. Swerve Strickland was able to resurrect this shitty fucking offering that they put out for him at World's End, and he rose it from the dead and made it interesting. (laughs) Let's go. 
<laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this thing, boys. Swerve Strickland, AEW World Champion. And that's the other thing. I don't know if all the belt gestures are him or something that's being talked about or dialogue. But it did bother me how few people historically have even seemed interested in acquiring the AEW World Championship. None of the top names would ever do that. None of the top names would ever make it clear that they are gunning for that, right? It was just the one guy who was going to feud with the champ that was, you know, interested in that, whether it was Kenny Omega and then Hangman Page taking it from him. Like, there was just this cycle of, and you look back, Jay White, right? Like, that was the first time with the devil and a few other names now getting involved. That was the first time that... We, we were even dialoguing people out around the champion outside of the direct number one contender who would potentially get an opportunity. Swerve Strickland is just forcing himself into the conversation, it feels like, and then, and then redefining the conversation, being like, you guys are all talking about me. And everyone's like, I didn't think we were. And then he just smiles. No, motherfucker, you were. Watch me have an amazing, interesting match with Dustin Rhodes. 107-year-old Dustin Rhodes is going to be interesting on a pay-per-view with me because I'm fucking Swerve Strickland, and we're going to figure this shit out, and we're going to entertain I am so on board Team Swerve Strickland. Is it not obvious? The guy's fantastic. And, like, he's fantastic for AEW. This is a, I'll move on after this. We'll talk about that championship match, and we're getting into Jericho territory pretty quickly here. Um, but, like, here's the last thing with Swerve. I would say, like, I honestly don't even know how well he would work in WWE or NXT or whatever. Like, he's a guy who just seems to fit in AEW in a certain way. Like, AEW, like, the way they operate, sure, you can spin this and work this and tighten a few things, and there's no reason why a wrestler's company led by the wrestler's stories and characters led by the wrestler, there's no reason it can't work, right? It's just been a little disjointed in these opening few years, and it may cost them or whatever, but swerve is thriving in this environment like he's fucking killing it he's killing it in this environment and he has the opportunity to to keep uh aw relevant not unlike the way mjf thrived in this environment a year ago winning the championship being the longest reigning aw champion at the ripe age of whatever MJF is, 23, 25, whatever he is. And Swerve's young too. I just looked it up. He's like 31. Like we've got some, we've got some pieces here. We got some pieces here in AEW. It is part of what frustrates me so much about what I'm seeing over there. Okay, championship match. We're talking about MJF, Samoa Joe. Uh, I don't think there's a lot to say there. Um, MJF is leaving or he's not. And, you know, talking about my predictions, I said on the show about a month ago that World's End is when MJF's contract is allegedly up, unless he's re-signed. There are rumors that he already has, but if he had not, that's the end of the contract, which means if you're not re-signing him, yeah, you book him in a main event world championship against whatever heel you want to give the belt to at that time. Samoa Joe is the chosen one, and here we go. We're off to the races. The speculation, they took MJF off of the AEW roster page on their website at midnight New Year's Eve. 
I told my wife that. She looked at me. She said, they're fucking with us. He resigned. And I said, the only reason they can fuck with us about that is because taking guys off of the webpage is sort of a standard practice when the contract is up. So, like, the only reason that would work at fucking with us smart marks is because that's what they do when the contract is up. So, like, we don't know. We don't know what we're about to see with MJF. We don't know if he's coming back. And... What I told Amanda was, here's the thing, if I'm MJF and AEW has done all this for me, like they found me, they discovered me, they pushed me, and I know he was briefly in WWE uh, for a while, but like the MJF is an AEW guy made by AEW in terms of as far as, far as the public of North America and wrestling is concerned. And so, but I think the other side of that is that there's just no uh, denying how ambitious and talented MJF is as a person. And so there's two wrestling companies right now. And MJF seems to appreciate that. Like, he seems like the type of guy who is going to do what's best for him. Like, not necessarily, like, kind of in a selfish way, but in a good, healthy, selfish way, in my humble opinion. Um, and what may be best for him right now is to sign that contract, that three-year deal, that four-year deal with WWE while you're 23, 24, 25. Because when that deal's up, I mean, you got to think you have a shot at some serious championships, some serious gold, making a little history in the oldest wrestling, prominent wrestling promotion, the wrestling promotion, whatever, however you're going to word these sort of things. But you got a chance of making some history with the WWE. And you have a chance of really expanding your name, your brand, your exposure. Because with AEW, you're kind of having to lift them up with you. Like, you're MJF. You got to work on your shit. You got to work on your body, your mind, uh, your training, whatever it is. You got to be on your A-game if you're, if you're a young person trying to fucking make it in that world, right? And he's got to kind of take AEW with him. He's got to be the leader, of that company, everyone on the roster is going to be looking at him. How do we do this, MJ, Daddy MJF? How do we get stronger, better, better on the mic? How do we, like, he's the guy. He's the motherfucker over there. Whereas with WWE, he's the one of the top, most interesting, talented guys in the room. A room full of guys that he can learn from. And a room full of opportunity when you talk about much bigger ratings, when you talk about much bigger exposure. And then theoretically, I know Tony's got all the money in the world, but Tony's one guy. I mean, this gives an opportunity not only for MJF to make a ton of money, but make it from a ton of different sources. Because now we got inroads into Hollywood. We got inroads into mainstream in a much more tangible, cemented way than AEW has. AEW, there's rumors they're not even going to have a TV deal in a few months here. They'll find, they'll land somewhere even if they leave Turner. But like, it's a bad situation when you kind of compare the two. So if MJF wants to go do three or four years in WWE and cross that off his list, maybe come back to AEW when it's done, now's the time to do that. Look at LeBron James. He goes to Miami when he's young. He's 25, 26. He comes back to Cleveland and wins another championship, or the championship he won Cleveland. That's what I kind of see for MJF here. 
And frankly, this is not, I'm not a fed head, but AEW, what a weird spot. I mean, they need to figure out they, they, it's weird. They need him, but I think it's obvious that they need to figure out a way to survive without him. And, and I made a list here. What's the general landscape of talent. When you look at AEW, like who's going to carry the company the next three years, Swerve Strickland, Samoa Joe, Adam Cole, Jay White, right? That's like your top tier of guy. And the next tier beneath that, that's actually where I put John Moxley. I think he's going to wear out his welcome. I think people are going to realize what I've been saying about him for a little while. I think AEW fans are going to realize what I've been saying about him for a little while. Kenny Omega is on the tier below. I don't think you can count on Kenny Omega anymore to be an A guy of a wrestling company. I think that when he signed with AEW, maybe you could. And I think just like everything, they fucking squandered that because they could have built the company really around his, Kenny's style of wrestling, Kenny's style of doing things, uh, Kenny's style of in-ring storytelling. The problem they hit is that people can't keep up with that shit. He is uniquely talented. He is uniquely athletic. And so people couldn't keep up with that. You couldn't really build the company around that without it getting too outlandish and too cruiserweight, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I, I, Eddie Kingston wouldn't be there, <laughs> right? Like, where does Eddie Kingston fit in the Kenny Omega-themed wrestling company, if we're being totally honest? And that's the type of shit I'm talking about when I say this shit is so disjointed. So Kenny Omega, I think with all the injuries piling up these last few years, it's constantly like a subplot that Kenny's so fucking hurt, that diverticulitis, I, I wonder... I wonder if, if the days of the cleaner Kenny Omega are just over and now he's going to have to reinvent what he's doing in the ring in order, if, if he wants to get five or ten more years out of the ring. He's in his 40s. Like, let me make sure that that's actually 39 at the youngest, I think, for Kenny. Let's see here. We'll do a little quick Google Live. 40 exactly. So, you know, if he wants to get five-plus more years uh, in the ring – it's starting to seem like something has to be looked at. That's just my humble opinion based off of the fact that, I mean, it's, he was, he was champion over a year ago. And the subplot was how injured he is all the fucking time because of his wrestling style. So you can't count on him. He's not at the level of Swerve Strickland with AEW. He's not at the level of Samoa Joe. He's not at the level of MJF. He's, in ways 10 times better, but it's over. The sands of time are falling through that hourglass, motherfuckers. It's 2024, not 2014 anymore. It is what it is. Sorry, Kenny. I'd put FTR on that level below, and I would actually include the acclaimed and the guns down there. I fucking love the young tag teams. I love tag team wrestling when it's done right. I don't know for sure if FTR and if the acclaimed continue to develop. Maybe those are names that can be on that top tier. But you're, you're, to me, that top main event tier for AEW right now, the people I'm interested in seeing in the main events of $50 pay-per-views, it's Swerve Strickland, it is Samoa Joe, it's Adam Cole, it's MJF if he stays, it's Jay White. I want to see Swerve feud with these guys. I want, I want to see that. Oh, man, I do. I want to see that. Jay White, I think, is really fun, really interesting. He's practically a poet on the mic when he gets out there. He's really cool. 
Um, so let's see what we got. Because that's the company now. The company is not the elite. Cody's gone. Kenny's hurt. And the Bucks uh, are what? Exposed? Like, do we just now see what the Bucks are? Petty and talentless? Oh! <laughs> like, is that just... Is, does everybody just see that now? Is that why they're not on TV and not doing things? And they're just riding Kenny's coattails? And that's been the case for a while? Is that the situation, Bucks? I don't know. You guys tell me. Where the fuck are they? You can't count on them. And uh, there was one name that when AEW started was at the top of the list. Guys who we think we can build around for the next three years. And by God, they did. And it went reasonably well. And that name is none other than Chris Jericho. And like I said earlier, I, you know, I always, I always blow my loads too early. Just ask Amanda. But regardless, uh, like I was saying <laughs> earlier uh, before the break with Chris Jericho, Here's the situation. There aren't a lot of details. There is some Me Too, if you're familiar, I assume you are. There is some Me Too energy starting to swirl around Chris Jericho. There are reports and allegations, but we don't really have names, and we don't really have hard anything on what those allegations are. We don't have actions that were committed. The one story that I was able to track down was that he uh, had, through like intermediaries, he had a young women's wrestler named Kylie Ray who was with AEW at the time. She, uh, she, he had her invited into his locker room where she expected a communal environment. Instead, it was just him, and he came on to her. That story emerged on Twitter, and the interesting part is that at the end of it, Kylie Ray personally left a little heart emoji on the Twitter thread, as if to say, you're barking up the right tree. And that's, to me, the part where it does get really interesting, uh, and now people are saying this is cultural with Chris Jericho, that this has been around forever. <sighs> I hope it's all untrue. Like, I, I hope Chris has been playing by the rules. I have no doubt that, that Chris likes to have fun. Uh, and I hope that all he's done is had fun. I, I hope that it's not as bad as it's being implied right now. The big problem I have here today, January 2nd, 2024 is when Tony Khan was asked after World's End about Chris Jericho and whether he's ever been under investigation. And, and Tony always seems to respond to difficult questions in these post-show media scrums the same way. Completely stunned, yet simultaneously totally in control. And those two energies don't blend. And it's why his answers are so rambling. It's why his answers are so confusing and don't seem to address questions. Because he's trying to subtly communicate to you that he doesn't know anything. How could he? he, he I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not alive. I'm not actually responsible for anything that's happening here. We have, we have a code of conduct, and that was his answer. We have this code of conduct, and we have, we have things in place where people can report issues, and, and I think we have the safest company in the world. So you're totally fucking clueless, but you're in complete control. We are safe with you, but you have no idea what's going on with the wrestlers that you work with. 
And furthermore, not just you have no idea what's going on with the wrestlers that you work with, you have no idea what questions to expect in the post-show media scrum. You are caught flat-footed every time somebody, their question doesn't unzip your pants and start blowing you immediately. And that's what these post-show scrums were back in the days of the four pay-per-views, okay? After a double or nothing year one, year two, it was a love fest. Oh my God, Tony, you found wrestlers and you put them on TV for me. Wow! Finally, somebody besides Vince McMahon doing that for us. What is it like being the most amazing man in the world, Tony Khan? And he would say, well, it's fantastic, but I have all these fine wrestlers to thank for it. And look at these great wrestlers. And he would pretend to divert the attention while he stood there and talked for five straight fucking hours after the show. Like, now we're into the weeds, Tony. Now you're dealing with human shit. Okay, now, now, now the guy you put all your marbles into, this guy was the face of AEW, this guy was here to convert the casual fan, this guy was your first ever world champion, Le Champion, Le Sex Gods, and every fucking AEW mark is singing the song he wrote and performed while he walks out. The, the, the cult of Jericho is as strong as it has ever been Thanks to you, Tony Khan, and anything he's done inappropriate towards women or anyone else in the work environment is done on the platform and the pedestal that you built for him, Tony. So when this shit starts swirling, maybe after your pay-per-view three days later, you can fucking expect some questions and you can fucking be real about it. And maybe you should be real about it in the booking. I mean, this this is the company that has um, the, the safe space energy. I hate to even word it like that. I don't want to sound like I'm being condescending in any way. But when you talk about which company has been more openly progressive with its politics, more openly espousing progressive politics, whether it's gender-based or otherwise, like it was AEW, which means if the top fucking ace of your company has been doing some fucked up shit behind the scenes this whole time and you never caught it, and you never investigated it, and you kept shoveling money in Jericho's face, and you kept shoving TV time, and you kept shoving creative opportunities into this motherfucker's face, if all this shit turns out to be true, you are as clueless as you are implying you are, Tony, if all that ends up true. I'll believe you then. I'll quit calling bullshit, and I'll just say no. You are as stupid as you're, you're trying to come off in these post-show press conferences. You actually are caught that flat-footed in these moments. You're having Sammy Guevara pin Ricky Starks to set up the tag team championship match between Chris Jericho and Sammy against Big Bill and Ricky Starks. You're, you're still pushing forward with that. Why? If you are still pushing forward with that, you must know that he's good. That he hasn't been investigated for anything and that there is no conversation here. So tell us that, dude. Say it, motherfucker. But that ain't the case. 
You got your head so far up your own ass so you don't have to see a fucking thing going on around you, dude. Uh, just keep the finish. Yeah, but, uh, uh, set Sammy up to, yeah, Sammy pins Ricky, and then that'll set up the tag team match between Sammy and Chris. And just keep, yeah, no, keep it. Yeah, yeah, keep doing that. No, no, Keith Lee, uh, he's out hurt, and that was just too big of a, that was one curveball. I can't hit two curveballs in one at-bat, so I'm done. Just keep everything else the same. Send Jericho out there. It'll be great. And oh, by the way, was that not the worst fucking match you've ever seen in a pay-per-view? Like, have you ever, can you ever remember like, well, okay, we all remember Jeff Hardy and, and Sting. Isn't it interesting that Sting is always in the worst fucking matches? Sting is in no way responsible if you don't know what I'm talking about for the other match I am talking about. But, but, that match was so fucking bad. Botchamania, left and right. I don't think Big Bill knows how to wrestle. And I thought it was so interesting to come back to Chris. And this is what I told my wife. During the match, Chris seemed to really want to be seen bossing around Sting. As though, like, he is the ring general. He's the leader. He's the fucking guy. And Sting was doing what Chris said. And Chris's great mind was the one setting up the, the double stinger splash that they did. And, and then the walls of Jericho. And, th- and now I'm remembering. These are the moves that came after he talked to Sting. And then the walls of Jericho and the uh, scorpion deathlock. Um, Chris wanted to be seen. As being the guy who drove those moves and that sequence. Like he had to walk over to Sting and say it. Not in like a whisper in your ear way. But in like a everyone watching. See me poke on him. See me wait for him to turn around and listen to me. Now see me talk to him. Now see the moves unfold. While I point at where we gotta go. I mean what was going on with Sting? Was he okay? (laughs) Did Chris Jericho just... Like, is his life falling apart and he's just going to gobble up every last bit of power and attention that he can here in his closing darkest days? Is that what I'm watching? Is Sting completely incompetent in the ring and genuinely needs Chris Jericho to be doing this? Does anybody think this is entertaining? What the fuck am I watching? $50, TK. $50 fucking dollars and you give me that? It's disgusting. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, motherfucker. I do a cartoon comedy wrestling show that's run by a video game. I would have been embarrassed. Like, I would have been fucking cringing embarrassed. Are you fucking kidding me, TK? It's gross. It's gross. And if 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 you come out of all this looking squeaky clean, if Chris Jericho comes out squeaky clean and somehow you're able to backpedal and convince me that you actually do have a clue and that and that you've been in the loop on Chris this whole time and there just is no story here and the internet blew up on Christmas for seemingly no reason. Okay, I'll eat my words. I'll eat my words. But you know what, greasy rope break fans? The Rock is fighting Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 40, and I called that back when no one was talking about it. So something tells me... That my yapping speculation might be leading to something. Because oftentimes, uh, wrestling fans, where there's smoke, there's fire. Hey, nothing's hotter than Rope Break. We'll be back one week from today. We have an E-Fed show this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Come check out all the details. Come be a part 
of a wrestling community that is going to stand on its opinions, stand on what it sees, and not succumb to the narrative being pushed all over the place by other content creators and by wrestling promotions. I don't give a fuck about any of that. We're here to talk about what we are seeing and what we think, and that's what we are doing every week on Rope Break. Hey, thanks for going on the ride with me here into 2024. We are landing that jet plane. See you in a week, boys. I ain't never missed my cue.